0: You are listening to The Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders, hosted by Wayne Eckerson.
1: All these terms are colliding. So we've got data governance, data access governance, which is only the policy enforcement, uh, data management, data ops, and data observability. These have very thin boundaries between them and it's very easy to conflate them
0: my name is wayne eckerson my job is to help data and analytics leaders succeed in these podcasts i talk with experts who share the latest thinking and innovations in our space i'm glad you've joined the conversation on tap today data access governance you know the controls that govern who can see and query which type of data If you've ever been an IT manager, you know what a mess this can be. Most organizations assign access privileges by role and system and quickly get tangled up with manual insertions, exceptions, and overrides. In the end, no one really knows who can see what data and whether the organization is in compliance with ever-changing privacy and security regulations. Fortunately, there are new products on the market that promise to simplify and standardize data access and authorization across the enterprise, and just in time. As data volumes rise, the number of cloud applications expands, and users seek data in every nook and corner of the enterprise, it's becoming harder to empower users with data while securing sensitive or personal information. To help us sort through options, we've invited an expert in data access governance. Sanjeev Mohan has 30 years of information management experience and has worked for Oracle, KPMG, and most recently Gartner, where he was VP of research for data analytics. Welcome to the show, Sanjeev.
1: It's a pleasure to be on it.
0: Well, we're here today to talk about data access governance, which is a mouthful. Uh, but before we get into what it is, I'd like to ask, what interests you about this topic? How did you get into
1: Governance it? is a topic that has literally dodged me all my career doing data management. And I've always uh, managed to avoid it because to some extent, I, I just thought that data governance is not a very interesting topic for me. Four years ago, that changed. And the reason it changed was because I started getting calls from client inquiries where the clients were starting to ask, uh, how do we prepare for GDPR? You know, and I'm being very uh, honest with you. I didn't track this space at all. And that's when I realized that, you know, we are getting into this some pretty heavy duty compliance regulation space and data needs to be secured and governed, and we need to protect uh, data privacy. That is when I started looking into the space, and uh, it's a very exciting space. In my mind, it is the last mile to make data accessible. We focused all our energies on how do we build data lakes and collect data, but we neglected how do we make the data available only to the authorized users. So that's what makes it exciting
0: let's dig into what this is then data access governance yeah how would you this define is a that
1: very contentious uh, point because when i got into data governance i had uh, a lot of my colleagues and friends who were not very keen uh, about my coverage of data governance because they claim that the way i'm i'm approaching data governance is more of an extension of data management and To be honest, you know, they are right. So these terms are are very elusive for my friends who are purists in the data governance space. Data governance only belongs to the business people, and it is called data stewardship or information governance, not even data governance. Interestingly, if you talk to security people, for them, data governance is what I call data access governance. So when they talk about data governance, they're talking about enforcing policies so end users can only see what they're authorized to see to them that is data governance so we live in this space where all these terms are colliding so we've got data governance data access governance which is only the policy enforcement uh, data management data ops and data observability these have very thin boundaries between them. And it's very easy to conflate them. So uh, I used to have this kind of discussion with my clients, and they would ask me to define things. And I would tell them, just like big data, data lakes, NoSQL, we don't have very clear-cut definitions. Any definition anyone produces will immediately get challenged. So I used to tell my clients that, Can we not worry about uh, trying to put boundaries and define it? Let's just talk about what is the problem we are trying to solve. At the end of the day, data access governance is how do I make my data accessible in a secured manner while ensuring that all the privacy guidelines are met. There are many ways of, of, of achieving what I just said. One way is lock down all the data. Actually, there's an easier way, delete all your data, you'll never have a breach. There are two sides of the coin. One side is, is I need to secure my data. The other side of the coin is data utility. I still need to have my data available, like data scientists need that data to train their models. If I secure it so well that no one can get in, then I've reduced or removed the utility of data. So right. that's what makes it challenging.
0: Right, right. I mean, there's this tension in companies between wanting to lock down the data and then open it up so people can get value out of it. And I think data access governance really tries to get right at that and achieve that balance. The thing about data access governance is that it's not new, right? We've been doing data access governance in one form or another for many years, decades even. So, Why are we talking about this now? What's new here? Yeah,
1: good point. So, you know, uh, I started my career at Oracle. We uh, Oracle has some, you know, very high security of the data. So it was always secure. And the way it was secure was because I would log in and my user ID had a role associated with it. That role had some grants and revokes and some privileges. And I could only see the data uh, that I had access to. Now, the problem is that today we, we are not just talking about uh, structured databases like Oracle. We are talking about data coming in a CSV file or a, or a Parquet file or a JSON file and sitting on, let's say, Amazon S3 and object store. How do you govern that? Like, you know, uh, that's just a file. So, yeah. uh, so you can govern the file, you can create an access control list, and you can say the people only these people are allowed to see it, but, but that's coarse grain. To do fine grain, like I can see column A but not column B in a parquet file, for that uh, I need to have uh, some sort of an extra layer that sort of, represents that parquet file into some sort of a tabular form and then i can do row level security column level security encryption masking tokenization so that the 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 scope has expanded tremendously once we moved into this whole data lakes and then cloud data warehouse more data sources more consumers Consumers belong to different groups. Each group may have a different uh, uh, requirement. For example, if I'm in finance and I want to run a report and for some reason I need to see somebody's credit card uh, information, because I'm in finance, I may have access to it. But the same person, the same uh, company, a person in marketing, needs to see the date of birth because they want to, you know, do something with their age or something, but they shouldn't have access to uh, credit card numbers. So, so the data remains the same. And this is the beauty of what we're doing today. But in the past, the way we did it was I had all my data for analytical purposes, let's say in a data warehouse. For finance, I would create a finance data lake a marketing data lake, a sales data lake, and I will create a view of the data the way it should be. This, this means I'm creating, replicating my data, creating data silos, and after some point, no one knows which is the system of record. Today, we do it much more dynamically. One copy of data, depending upon who you are, what your role is, what the attributes are, you see data dynamically in real time, based on on your requirements? So in the old
0: days, we really had, it was more one-to-one. You had one person who had permission to access one database and maybe certain parts of that database. And that was as far as the data access went until you got to another database then you had to replicate the whole thing all over again. But today we're trying to create this matrix because there's no other way to do it at scale. But you got all these different types of data sets different yeah. types of data in all these right. different systems. And on the other side, you have all these users who could right. be playing multiple roles right. and have different le- levels of uh, permission to access sensitive data. And then you somehow have to bring it all together. And right. we need new technology to do that. So I think that's right. why we're talking about this today. All right, so let's talk about the technology behind data access governance. So right. we have new technology to... Step up and meet these new challenges that we're facing, trying to both provide access to the data and control it so people don't yeah. see sensitive data. What? How could you describe the new technology fueling data access governance?
1: So, so the the new technology is, uh, I would say it's it's still evolving. We don't have a, uh, a one size fit uh, fits all, and the reason for that is because I could do it quite easily if I had only one platform. I could say, you know, this is how you define policies and I'm going to execute these policies in my ecosystem. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Snowflake, uh, probably the most popular cloud data warehouse uh, today, uh, they didn't have uh, any of these controls in place only till late last year. Uh, I think it was in November they launched their data uh, governance uh, accelerated program. Now, with that program they 've got row level security, column level security masking all of that can be done in the in uh, snowflake ecosystem directly. What that did was it uh, it created a whole cottage industry of people uh, sitting on above snowflake. Who jumped in and said, "Oh, I can build the facade to enable all of this because now I've got Snowflakes uh, native controls in place." Only only starting last year, in November. Now the problem is that if I'm um, in a hybrid multi-cloud world, which is where most people are today, you know, we know like uh, vast majority of people we talk to are multi-cloud. How do you do it? So so. This is where uh, I'm I'm all set for Snowflake, but uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say um, I have a Snowflake database and I'm keeping track of uh, customer journey data uh, in in there. But then I give customers an ability uh, on my website so they can opt in or opt out. So now when they opt in, I have their consent to use their data for my analytics. But that opt-in is actually going, for some reason, into a CSV file, which is sitting on S3. It's not in Snowflake. So mm-hmm. this is the reason why you now have third-party uh, products, and these products are cross-platform. So they run on-premises, they run, uh, you know, in in the cloud uh, on all all major hyperscale cloud providers. So so their remit is now way beyond a particular system like snowflake they are also uh, you know protecting postgres database oracle database flat files and and this is the reason why we now have that layer um, i was hoping that you know we can keep this more like uh, more of uh, conceptual but um but it's hard to do that without mentioning some products. So there are a lot of products in this space, so I'll only mention a few, uh, and this is the danger of, you know, and I'm only representing the ones that I come across the most, those being Okera, Emuta, and Privacera. So those are in that independent layer. So you can do it at independent layer, you can do it at the platform layer. If you talk about platform, AWS has lake formation. Which will allow you to exclude, include some columns, uh, do role-based access control, but it's only if your data sits in S3 and it is accessed by uh, Athena, Redshift, um, Glue, and so on, uh, QuickSight. You know, so so that's that's the 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 world we live in. And uh, for the listeners, if they're new in this space, well, they have to decide if they're all in AWS. Then you know the AWS solution might be great, you know. But if they are, uh, they have a heterogeneous ecosystem. Then they need to look at uh, at a higher level of products.
0: Yeah. So the way I understand these products work is that they intercept a query mm-hmm. and they essentially rewrite it. Uh, by, first of all, checking the policy yeah. uh, catalog right. uh, and understanding that policy catalog defines who has access to which types of data in which yeah. types of systems, right? So it, mm-hmm. it goes and does a quick lookup and then rewrites the query right. to go out, you know, pull the data from the appropriate place and then bring it back and perhaps even on the on, in transit mask or occlude that data if that's required by the policy for that particular individual based on yeah. the role they're playing at that particular time. So it's like yeah. SQL intercept technology. Is that a fair way of describing it? So
1: that is one of the ways. There are many ways of doing it. One of the ways is, is the SQL rewrite where you look up the, the policy and you see, for example, let's say there's a table called employees and let's say I report to you and I do a select statement, I see columns A, B, and C. Uh, when But you being a manager, you see A, B, C, and D. But you don't need to see social security numbers. So you may see E, but it's masked. So exactly the same SQL statement I executed and you executed gave us different uh, output. How is that happening? It's because this data access governance layer is intercepting your request, looking up the the policy engine, and, and applying the policy. That's one way of doing it. Some, some actually uh, do a push down. Uh, uh, instead of like having a, uh, an engine sitting outside, an independent engine, they can push it down into the underlying data store like Snowflake. The problem with that is if you are on S3, there is no underlying engine. You know, It's a file system, but actually it's not a file system. It's, it's an object store, uh, non-hierarchical storage right. of files. So, so that's another way. Another way that some people do, uh, and it's actually a vendor that you and I talked to a few months ago, where they create a view for every role and every policy. They'll actually create a view, a materialized view And then anytime you do a select, it's not looking up anything. The views created, it's just giving you the, you know, the response. So that's uh, how the different uh, mechanisms, each one has its pros and cons.
0: Mm. Yeah. So the three vendors you mentioned, are kind of the three that kind of are the flagship for this new space, data access governance. And most of them, or all of them, I believe, use the SQL Rewrite. Uh, approach right
1: that's correct yeah
0: so in that approach what i understand are the liability
1: approaches they they have multiple approaches approaches. that's not the only one Uh, okay just want to be careful yeah
0: right so in rewriting the sql query there there might be some performance issues i know they all deny that yeah Uh, and then you know you have to be able to run that query against whatever database and i yeah. think because these vendors are so new they don't support all the databases
1: yet right.
0: is that a fair assessment
1: so yes there is absolutely going to be a performance overhead although that performance overhead is not very high and there are ways to mitigate it by doing sort of a distributed environment there is also uh, a uh, um, argument that is sometimes made that if you don't do it at a centralized manner and you just you know uh, do it in in a distributed manner in different uh, environments, uh, and the auditor wants a log of what queries were run, you won't have that that consolidated audit log. Mm. Because there is no way to to consolidate, you know, an access that was approved in different systems. So that's why, you know, I am being very uh, cautious about this topic because uh, because uh, there is not a single ideal way of uh, applying the policies.
0: Right, right. So uh, you know, the the second approach where you push down into the database, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. You have to support every database to do that. Correct. yes. And uh, if you yeah. have to make a change, then you have yeah. to go make that change in every database. Right. Uh, and the views, that the third approach, Yeah. Yeah, if something changes, you may have to update
1: those views. Yeah. You have to keep the time. views refreshed, yes. Yeah, or, but yeah. The,
0: the first approach seems like the the cleanest because all you're doing is maintaining your policies. Correct. in one place which you have to do anyway
1: that is correct and
0: ideally you do that in an essential way so i can see where that's the preferred method
1: right right yeah. i think i think that's uh, you know uh, you know how we've all been entrapped into this data mesh concept so I think in data mesh, the centralized policy management will become even more important because we are talking about decentralized data stores, domain-driven decentralized data stores. So how do you ensure that a customer who's sitting in different domains uh, uh, and a user who's querying has exactly a consistent application of the policy? Because
0: if it is- a policy catalog, right? Yeah, it's a policy catalog, yes. Yeah. Yeah, So even though your architecture is decentralized and distributed, you still have to centralize some things. And you're arguing that you should centralize the policies and the access controls, too.
1: Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we're still pretty early in this whole approach to things. Yeah. Have most companies made the switch from the old way, (laughs) uh, the peer to peer way that we were talking about earlier to Adopting these new technologies?
1: No, actually they haven't, which is, uh, it's, uh, it's a surprise to me that, yeah. you know, to, because the way I'm talking about it, I to me, this is the last, mile. I mean, you need to do this, you know, but surprisingly, uh, people have their homegrown uh, approach that they built and they're using it. Uh, in fact, I had a very interesting conversation uh, more than a year ago, with one of the Fortune 5 financial services companies, and uh, I was very curious to see what they uh, they're doing. And I asked them, "How are you doing data access control?" And they're like, "Oh, uh, sorry, you're too late to the game. We built it years ago when we had to do, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley and all of that. You know, so we have our home homegrown system. We all said, uh, you know, uh, no need to talk about this topic. Let's talk about." you know, something else. So I'm like, okay, fine. Six months later, they called me and they said, we are hearing about CCPA in California. And by the way, CCPA is going away and CPRA is coming. And our homegrown system is not capable of handling CCPA and CPRA. So see, so this is the, the recognition that if you build it, then you have to keep maintaining it. And when new regulations come out, now hopefully these regulations are not like so different that you're constantly rewriting uh, but i'll give you another very interesting example I, you you uh, find this very interesting let's say you know i've, I've uh, identified what fields are personally identifiable information pii so and i've masked those these are my direct uh direct uh, uh indicators like uh identifiers like name social security number you know uh things like that but you know department like you know if i if i have masked the name and you know uh, the title maybe the department doesn't really matter so i don't you know uh, uh, i don't mask that now something gets published elsewhere and it says there's uh, some some guy f- who works in this department but lives in this zip code did this something really bad now using that that external third party thing i can re-identify this Mm -hmm. masked data all of a sudden you know i violated the privacy regulation so there is there are these uh these algorithms like key anonymization that say that uh, you anonymize data not just based on whether it's a direct identifier but based on the number of unique values Mm -hmm. how do you build all of these things you know uh into your system, so this is where there's now a recognition that uh, let's get away from a homegrown system into uh, a system that these companies are building uh, to be comprehensive because that's what yeah. they do, and more flexible, right? Exactly. and the more flexible, yeah. like the example of Snowflake is actually a great one. The moment Snowflake came up with their uh, their new uh, approach all the vendors had to rewrite their Snowflake connectors hmm. because it changed. You know, Snowflake just pulled the rug under them. And it's a good thing, actually. It's, it's not like a, in a bad way, but they had to rethink and redo their approach.
0: Get your crystal yes. ball out. What do you think is going to happen in the next three to five years here? How's this space going to evolve?
1: Uh, I'm making, making a, a wild guess. My guess is that in 2022, we'll start seeing the fines for privacy breaches exceed a billion dollars. Wow, okay. uh, Per year, you know, and that is going to be like the instant uh, catalyst for companies to say, ooh, okay, we need to handle this in a much more structured manner. Yeah. So that's one Uh, uh, data privacy regulations, data residency, data sovereignty are going to become even uh more stringent right now some of these are acts they're not bills like so like in india they're debating it but you know once these things pass uh that's a second uh reason why we will see more uh, emphasis on it so i think fines cost uh and then the third thing is uh to do you know to drive business decisions we want to make data available to our end users, business analysts, data scientists, and so on. So, uh, so the more we get disciplined about uh, controlling access to it, the more uh, uh, the more sort of confidence we have in sharing it. Uh, so, in in that, I will put even uh, platform technology platform like data sharing, that's becoming really big. And and you and your team has uh, they, they've been covering data sharing quite a bit. I think there's a direct connection between data access governance and data sharing.
0: Absolutely, you 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 don't feel comfortable sharing data right. unless you have the controls to govern it. And it's kind of like, you don't want to drive a car that yes. doesn't have any brakes, right? Because right. either you'll go so fast, you'll crash or you'll be too scared to get in it in the first place because right. you're afraid you're going to crash. So yeah. I think with governance, Governance yeah. is key to openness, right? We can't yes, We can yeah. have both. Uh, and that the more flexible um, of a governance environment, uh, the mm-hmm. more open that you can make your data, both to your own employees and to external folks as desired. Correct. So but I think anytime you talk about security and yeah. even data yeah. security, it, it touches kind of like a third rail inside companies. Yes. And I think it's very hard for them to make changes Right. Because uh, they have to be, they know they have to be very careful. Correct. So I think it will happen, like you
1: say, but it will take a lot of effort. Identity and access management, data security, data privacy, data management, and infrastructure operations. All of these five, six teams, I forget how many I even mentioned, they all need to come together. A lot of opportunity, but
0: right. a lot of challenges to overcome. Correct. So. Yeah. Well, Sanjeev, thank you so much for participating on this podcast. It was lovely to have you. Your insights are brilliant. Thank you so much, Wayne. Anytime. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more insights on data or analytics, visit our website at www.eckerson.com.